Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to another episode of the One Year No Beer podcast. I'm your host today, Ruri Fairbairns, and I'm excited to be joined by this guest. James Collier has a background in nutrition and dietics and has worked as a nutritionist and registered dietitian for over 25 years. He is the co-founder of Huel. James worked in clinical research and development and has also worked with various sports teams and athletes, as well as with people looking to improve their health through nutrition. James co-founded Huel in 2015 with Julian Hearn, with the goal of creating a meal replacement that was both convenient and healthy. Uh, James spends his time diving into the science, the research, to help us have a good, balanced diet. And I know you're really, really, really going to enjoy this episode, uh, because there's so much actionable content here from James into what we eat. So, without further ado, uh, give a big, warm OYMB welcome to James Collier. Welcome to another episode of the One Year No Beer podcast. I'm your host, Ruri Fairbairns. Um, today, I'm joined by somebody very special. They have caught my eye a few times um, on social media with the wonderful things um, and ideas and concepts they put together. But also, and he is the co-founder of one of our fantastic sponsors that I'm so happy and proud to have as a sponsor. Love the product, genuinely, Huel, and very happy to have um, the co-founder, James Collier, on the podcast. James Collier is the co-founder and head of sustainable nutrition of Huel. Uh, he's worked in nutrition and dietics, including time in the NHS, for 30 years and previously specialized in providing advice in the fitness industry from competitive bodybuilder to regular gym goers. Uh, James has recently completed his first book, Thought for Food, which will be available soon. Um, so welcome to the show, James. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to having a conversation. Exactly. A good a good conversation, um, which uh, I'm very excited to do. Because I think, you know, guys, if you're listening to this, well, obviously you are. Uh, if you're listening to this, it's one of these podcasts where I do recommend grabbing a pen or a piece of paper um, we're going to touch on a lot of subjects together. We're going to touch on some great science together, some great insights, and you're going to want to write this down or listen to it again. One of the two. Um, so, James, so I've um, I've 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 heard of nutrition. Um, I've heard of functional nutrition. I've heard of bad nutrition, uh, but I've never heard of sustainable nutrition. So, enlighten me. Okay, that's a great question to kick off with. <laughs> so let me let me go back a few years. Um, we we at Huel we produce nutritionally complete, affordable food with minimal impact on animals in the environment, and we thought, well, there's more to food than just nutrition. We are a social species, and we have to look uh, look after our fellow inhabitants of this uh, world, which includes both humans and non-humans. <laughs> And we heard the term sustainable nutrition sort of thrown around casually. And in 2020, we were, we uh, you produced our first sustainable nutrition report. You know, lots of com uh, companies have sustainable uh, sustainability reports, etc. We did also sustainable nutrition, linking both uh, nutrition and all the different aspects of sustainability, what that, what that broad term means in, into one. So we created a definition of it. And if you permit, I'll just quickly read it to you. I have to read it because I haven't learned it by, by heart. <laughs> That's okay. Um, this was in the report, which you can, can be found on yule.com, and it's sustainable nutrition is food that provides essential nutrients in proportions that contribute to good health, is affordable, and produced with minimal impact on the environment to protect biodiversity, ecosystems, and communities, both for now and for future generations. So that's what... Sustainable nutrition means to Huel, and I would imagine it should mean the same to anyone else. I don't know if you do this to all the ladies, James, but that gave me goosebumps. I, I, I don't just my <laughs> just my presence. <laughs> but but um, that what you know, I love that. I love everything about what you just said there. Um, so powerful, you know. Um, 
essential nutrients, affordability, biodiversity, sustainable, fantastic. And this is this is the way society has to move. You know, when when was the begin? Who was what two thousand? When was the beginning? We we launched. We, we first went live for sale in June twenty fifteen. But uh, Julian Hearn, who's the, the principal founder of Fuel, got in touch with me June 2014. And I gather he'd been working on this idea he had for six months or so prior to that. Yeah. Was there stuff in the branding originally that was around um, being space food or being made by Astro? Was there anything else? Was that just made up? No, uh, it, some PR. Out? That was early PR, I think. It's not that at all. Because if you look at the, um, I mean, if you, when you hear the word space food, you get sort of, imaginary food of you know in these 1970s sci-fi films um uh, comes comes to mind and you all are naturally like star trek yeah. where it's where it's made by a machine yes from from a nano yeah <laughs> and maybe one day the world will be that way but but Huel, yeah. for now is made with a lot of whole ingredients um, including oats flaxseed pea protein brown rice protein and, and a few other things um you know that that and our original product which was the uh, which if, if anyone can see in the background is the white pouch which has improved yeah. since then. We've we've developed yeah. it and moved it on further. Yeah, um, awesome. And so, what what you know? Bit back into your story again. What got you into nutrition in the first place? Okay, um, this has come up quite a bit. Uh, I, I when I was at school, I was uh, bullied a bit. I mean, I guess a lot of kids are, but uh, and I went to uh, private school, believe it or not, and. Um, I think the the way the bullying was probably less harsh than it would have been elsewhere, but nevertheless, it was it was it really got to me. So I I wanted to do anything I could, and at fifteen, I started lifting weights, and that um, that developed into doing anything I can that would help get my muscles bigger and knowledge is power, as they say. Um, so I thought, let's learn about this, and at the same time, I think it's the other that, that's what I ascribed fifty percent of my interest. You, nutrition too originally but my mother was diagnosed with breast cancer when I was eight or nine years old and you know this was this was the 80s this was like 1980 I think 1980 81 and so back then the medical advances were were, were weren't that good and she wasn't given very long to live um, but she managed to survive another 11 years and saw me go to university and start a nutrition degree um, but she was very focused on nutrition, healthy living. And I think that got ingrained into me. Uh, so, uh, yeah, although some of her ideas were quite alternative and things I actually actively fight against these days, nevertheless, around the home, there was a good interest in eating well and what what food provides. So that, those, yeah. those are the two reasons, I think, where my interest in nutrition came from. Mm, interesting and it's amazing i mean the the nutrition journey is a never-ending journey right the insights that we keep getting on a daily basis and i think that is part of the difficulty for people isn't it is that there's so much misinformation and there's so much it well there's just generally information about everything who's saying what's healthy and what to eat and what's a good diet and what's not a good diet um so over that journey for yourself of nutrition how have you found the way what how have you found what works well and and yeah what's your secret source for knowing the truth about nutrition the short answer that is i don't know if i have because there is no way this is science right science is mm. the continual pursuit of the truth but being content that you will never find it and nutrition what oh, that's my own quote thank you um i like it <laughs> i love it i might use that myself um, <laughs> hashtag james collier if you do please <laughs> if um look that's the same with any science but Nutrition, exceptionally, has got a lot of misinformation. And I read one book, a brilliant book called Science Fictions by a psychologist called Stuart Ritchie, where he talks about all the problems in scientific research. And, and he said, along with psychology, nutrition has to be the most hyped of all sciences. And there is so much misinformation. And yeah. I had a realisation a few years ago. People thought I was probably pretty good at nutrition. And then I realised I know nothing. And I'm still the more I the more I look into nutrition every day, and unfortunately, my job working in nutrition forces me so it forces me to re continue reading and learning about nutrition. But the more I I learn, the more how much I realize I just don't know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's such a vast space, 
Um, so I guess then we need to rely on people like you who are sifting through the information um, to hopefully bring us um, the good stuff. And that's what you do, right? I mean, I, I look at your posts up on LinkedIn. Is it just LinkedIn or you also post on Huel on the site on Huel everywhere? Yes. Um, I've noticed that, obviously. Um, but um, I think you condense the insights very well um, and, and share great content. So if you don't already follow James Collier on LinkedIn, then do if you want good nutritional advice. We are going to talk about some of that on this podcast. Um, so, and that actually leads me on to, um, no, no, before I jump into that, let's talk about um, the setting up of fuel. So in 2014, Julian contacted you with this crazy idea. Um, and was it principally about sustainability? Was it about manufacturing food? Was it about being plants? What was his, what was the initial push? So Julian's spoken on a lot of, a lot of podcasts. There's some really, really good ones as well. So it's worth someone maybe having a quick, quit listening to some of his uh, backstory. Hmm. Uh, I know it's been on the High Performance Podcast once before and, and the early days on Stephen Bartlett's Diary of a CEO. Um, so he, his backstory was he'd already made, made some money on one business and he was doing an, another business where he was um, looking at different diets. And one of those diets involved in preparing a lot of different food every day and he found sort of, sort of, such an arduous task. But the one thing that wasn't so bad was protein shakes. So he thought, well, yeah. hang on. Protein shakes quite simple. Why can't we do this with everything? So I think he got in touch with a few nutritionists, uh, including me, and um, I responded quickly. Uh, what do you think helped? And he commissioned me to do a project. Uh, he obviously liked it. Um, there was a few iterations, and over the next year, he said, "Do you want to come on? Yeah, come on and try and help me find, <clears throat> excuse me, someone to, to manufacture this for us." And it took us a year, and we launched. Amazing. Super cool. So could you give me a bit of insight into what is what is in Huel? Um, uh, what, what actually is it? What is actually the process? I don't know if you can give any of that away, but I'd be interested to hear that. Um, and then maybe also, you know, how has the recipe developed? Okay, that's a ton of great questions there. Uh, we've got several products now, but the original um, powder in the white pouch, um, we have... Some principal ingredients, which are oats, flaxseed, pea protein, brown rice protein, uh, MCT powder from coconut, which I'll come back to in a moment, uh, sunflower oil powder, plus um, some other ingredients as well, like the flavors. More recently, we added um, tapioca starch in to help with the consistency and, and the carbohydrates and also a bespoke vitamin mineral blend. So it, it is nutritionally complete. What do we mean by nutritionally complete? We mean it provides sufficient of all nutrients, um, and we, and that is done by what the recommended daily amounts are for the area in which we're selling. But also, you know, they're flawed, okay. And so, where the good science, science. yeah, where good science <laughs> exactly suggests that there should be different levels, or where there's nutrient interactions, we've we've addressed that. So it's complete protein, and all all products like you pointed out are plant based, so sustainable. Um, but they, uh, we've, we've done some, um, studies and some research and we've made sure that we've got, um, the right sort of protein. So there's maximum uptake. We've got the essential fatty acids, both the omega threes. We're all told these are good for us and your products are high in omega threes, <clears throat> essential omega sixes and all the vitamins and minerals. Then, then subsequently we've developed other versions of the powder. We've got the, the black edition, which is really popular, which has a different macro ratio because you know, it says high protein on it of course it's popular yeah exactly <laughs> and, and people just need to put that on anything these days and it's popular exactly and that's a big selling point <laughs> and people it's, it's yeah. definitely uh i think people are focusing on that but regular your powder is also high in protein black edition is higher in protein and lower in carbs so um it, we've got a different macro ratio that just basically means a different ratio of the protein fats and carbs um to each other we've also got a hot and savory range which are grain-based and pasta-based that you uh, mix with hot, hot water, leave for five minutes and eat with a spoon. Very popular. We launched them in 2020. We've now got, I think, 10 in the range, t 10 great flavours. So people have got plenty of variety and people enjoy them as a lunchtime meal. Uh, we've also got the RTD, the registered drinks, the bottles that can be bought in supermarkets nationwide and in, in some other countries as well. Um, we've got the vending machines that people might have seen on social media. or Manchester Airport. Manchester Airport on Heathrow Terminal 5. Good. Um, and um, we've got uh, a few other products as well, uh, like the bars. So everything is about nutritionally complete, all about providing 
the optimum and the full nutrition proportional to what one, what would have for a meal. Yeah. yeah, which is half the battle, right? Half the battle on the go, um, even traveling, you're like, where can I get some good food? And the answer is usually you can't. Um, you're going to pick up some crap. You're gonna you're gonna pick up something which is gonna massively spike your insulin, blood sugar, all of those things, and um, you know, <laughs> be crashing later in the day and all of that kind of stuff. So um, this is why I travel with it. This is why um, I use it a lot and have for years. Um, is for that reason. And you know, we'll talk a bit about this. Um, let's get into the meat of it because. Um, you know, hunger is such a key driver often for cravings for people and they misunderstand that. Now, before we get into that, let's start off with this is that, you know, what really um, jumped me to you or want to get you on the podcast was this very specific article you wrote about um, stress eating. And I read that article and I was like, delete stress eating and just put in drinking in there. And you've absolutely nailed it on the head. I think maybe there's a couple of two points in there which are not quite relevant. So we're very, very specific to the eating side of things. Um, but it was just so on the nail for for what we're doing here, and I think could bring some great insights to people. Um, so um, yeah, so going into that, tell me a little bit about the the cravings that people feel, that hunger element. Um, where is that driven from, um, and ultimately why is Huel satiating or other things like that? Um, you know, what does that drive in us? Okay. Cravings and hunger, that's a really complicated and complex area that we're still in the infancy of finding out what, what it involves. So hunger is, is driven, um, we think, by several hormones, both hunger and satiety. You've got to talk about the opposition as well if you want to, if you want to understand hunger, which is several hormones that are, are released in the gut um, and tell our brains that we need to eat something. Um, people might have heard the word leptin. They may have also heard of some satiety hormones like PYY, which I've also written about on uh, LinkedIn, and uh, another one called ghrelin. Uh, and it involves insulin as well. Um, and incidentally, you may have heard of these new um, anti-obesity drugs that have just been uh, licensed in the UK. They are they relate to another one, uh, another one of these hormones called GLP-1. Uh, but I won't go on topic there. Is that more appetite suppression? Or is um, it changing the dynamic of, of, of fat processing? As, a, or, yeah. as I understand it, both. Mm -hmm. But it's, they will affect the uh, appetite, but also some the way that some of the food is metabolized as well. Um, yeah. But it's not my area. Um, so, But cravings are part of hunger. Now, cravings are an emotion, really. They're, they're not, not merely a, a physiological process. Because there's something we feel, there's something we feel subjectively. You're, you know, we, you know, someone has a different craving for for a different food to you. Are some of the people chocoholic? Some people aren't so keen. Some people have to polish off a whole bottle of biscuits. Uh, other people crave more more savoury foods. Mm. Why is this? Well, we don't really know, but we know that there's one key neurotransmitter that a lot of people would have heard of called dopamine, and that's about motivation to seek out um, behaviours that in our ancestors were would sustain them um, would allow them to li live long enough and healthily enough in order to uh, propagate their genes yeah. but uh, in this this day it's all about pleasure seeking dopamine hedonia head hedonic urges and it drives that and it's not just it i think it was what, 20 or so years ago or maybe more longer than that but there was it was revealed that dopamine isn't the pleasure gleaned from achieving the thing, whether it's eating food or having sex or whatever, is the chase. Seeking. It's all about the chase. So it's the seeking. Then there's other bunch of neurotransmitters and hormones kick in about the pleasure. You might have heard of serotonin. We might want to talk about that. There's oxytocin, which is something else. There's endorphins um, and others as well. Oh, and so then you were sort of asking about how Huel comes in in cravings. Well, Huel will affect... Um, how full we feel because if you're hungry and you have some nourishment then your brain's no longer told you need need to eat um so that that was satiety and it is again subjective um and also we'll stop the cravings now we've got the sweet we've got the savory the whole savory is the savory now and our powders are sweet tasting so we, we try to adapt um to for everyone because we all have different cravings but there's more to cravings than just what i've said more about chasing it's it's cultural as well yeah. Now you might remember that when you were growing up, you had a grandparents or a, an auntie uh, who made you this special food. And then when you smell that food or think about that food, 
then it conjures up memories of that and it's not so, and that might give a craving and that's when you hear people talk about food it causes cravings it's very complicated and we're in a world these days inundated with food cues yet we're always driving us to eat more so we can't stop those cues because they're ingrained in us but we can learn to manage them and this is where uh eating good foods including you could help because yeah. they could take the urge off to eat at least yeah i'm going to run with that a little bit and tell me if i'm telling porkies um, but what also, so, um, you know, the, a lot, a lot of the drinking and the craving and things is, is psychological, right? And so we go, we're going through that part. Um, your, what most, many, many, many people do is they come and sign up to our challenge. They stop drinking and they just reach for sugar, right? And they often put on weight when they remove alcohol, right? Lots of physiological processes going on there as well as the psychological version, which is that craving and then reaching for food instead of alcohol. But if we just play with that element for now, rather than all the other, because I know there's lots of other physiological um, or biological effects going on. So in that moment there, this is why it's great to have something like Huel, all right, in that moment, because it's low calorie, lower calorie than probably some of the things you might grab um, from the shelf in a, in a quick snack. Um, and it's also satiating that hunger to drive it. Now, you do use some sweeteners in there, um, the sweeteners in there. Now, the great thing about this is, as we say to people, look, if you're going to grab some chocolate and you're removing alcohol, it's not the end of the world. We'll tackle the shot chocolate beast a little bit down the road, right? Um, but for now, we're trying to sort out the alcohol piece. Whereas if you're grabbing a Huel, psychologically, I believe that we are, uh, the brain will start to think that sweetness is being given, right? We think we're being given sweet, but we're not getting the insulin blood sugar rush from having sugar. So again, it's a part of the psychological journey of changing your relationship with it. Do you follow me there and do you agree with what I've just said? Yes. I would just maybe just extend a couple of the the points you've mentioned about the Huel products. It's, it's clear for people. We do use different sweeteners in different products. We use uh, stevia, a natural sweetener, in some of our products. And we use sucralose in others. So we give people a choice because people may prefer different things. Some people have an aversion to, to certain types of stevia. Although they, even that's complicated because I, I believe there's 30 or different types of stevia and, and not all of them... Uh, uh, that they all affect the tongue in different ways. Yeah. Um, and the other thing is um, you mentioned about the the, sh the sugar influx. Well, all our products are low sugar uh, and they're also low glycemic index, low GI. Now, some of your listeners won't know what that term means. The glycemic index is the response of the blood sugar level to a carbohydrate-containing food. Um, and we've had all of our um, products tested and they're all low GI, meaning that they give us a sustained um, up, uplift of blood sugar level and consequently a sustained level of energy, which is ideal for curbing the cravings for a longer time. Yeah, exactly. Have I come back to you quickly on that? Yeah, beautifully, beautifully. We're just, we're just going on the same the same point and i know i'm sorry i know this sounds like one long huel sales pitch guys right but but it is a great product to to counter your journey and we're giving you the science and the reason why what's going on physiologically mentally for you the reason why this is a great thing of course it's not the only thing out there there's lots of other things out there that you could use for this but but it's just a great tool so um you touched on hedonic fulfillment and you talked in this in your program so um, explain to me or explain to us a little bit about the concept of hedonic versus eudaimonic um, fulfillment and how does that relate to alcohol specifically? Okay, so for, um, we can get a bit philosophical here and a bit spiritual even, but right. eudaimonia or eudaimonic, eudaimonic fulfillment is all about being more sublimely happy in your life, being content with your life and um, being happy in the world around you. you. You know, you're not feeling depressed. Uh, everything's cool. Hedonia is all about pleasure. It's the short buzzes of happiness. And um, and so, yeah, we need both. But if people, but too often in the West these days, we're relying too much on the hedonia. We need the pleasure. We need to go and spend money and spoil ourselves. We need to eat over We need to eat all foods, social media, exactly. Yeah, and this is these little dopamine-driven little bursts. And the likes on, on Facebook is a great example. Oh, I've got to like that. And little, tiny little dopamine nose. We chase it. We want more and more and more. Yes. So, but you, you'll constantly be chasing it if you're not, not completely fulfilled with eudaimonia. However, that's well out of, out of my uh, level of knowledge to try and counsel people to make their life blissfully happy. But diet can be part of that. Okay. 
diet can be part of that. Have a more fulfilled life. <laughs> Again, it's, com- it's both complex and complicated. Complex because there's lots going on. Complicated because it's hard to understand. But I mentioned serotonin earlier. It might be a nice segue to bring that in. If, if anyone can see behind me, I've got a picture of a chemical yes. symbol as serotonin in the background. Which, which is C-H-N-O. Yeah, and I can't remember. I'd have to read it. So yeah. for those listening, we're looking at a picture of a molecular structure in the background up on James's wall um, with C-H-N-O written on it. So that is what, James? The, chem- the chemical symbol for happiness. For serotonin. A lot of people would have heard of the neurotransmitter uh, serotonin and it's all about uh, good feelings mm-hmm. uh, and what uh, science has realized uh, just maybe a decade or so ago that actually it's not just released in our brain 90 or 95 percent of it is released in our guts the enteric nervous system which is the the nervous system of of guts now this is where it gets complicated because obviously our brains tell our guts about, you know, digesting food and signals go back, telling us if we're hungry or if we're full. But there's a lot more to it than this. We now know that um, more serotonin will be released if your digestive system is healthy. And that involves things that live inside our digestive system, the microbes, the microbiome, which is all the uh, different sorts of microbes, most notably archaea and different bacteria. These, these microorganisms live with us symbiotically, meaning that they need us to live and we need them to be healthy. So uh, they help keep the pathogenic bacteria away um, and they also uh, have been shown to help digestion. We've known that for some time, but there's probably a lot more to it. But they also help with the immune system and they help with inflammation. But also, and which is relevant to what we're talking about here, there's a link with cognition. So this is where bad diets can be linked to bad mental health. Mm. Again, it's complex and there's a lot more going on here. And we spoke about dopamine already and that why relying on dopamine from eating too much rubbish food itself is it's just causing pleasure-seeking, pleasure-seeking, pleasure-seeking and all the health consequences that go with overeating. <clears throat> but also, if you have a healthy mi- gut microbiome, these are going to help um, with your your enteric nervous system produce more serotonin, which will then tell your brain you're more happy, then maybe you'll need to rely less on the dopamine urges mm. and you can be more more fulfilled. However, that doesn't mean if you just start eating pulses and stuff like that, everything's going to be hunky-dory. It's not. You've got to have their other aspects in your life, all about stress, um, staying away from chasing dopamine, personal life, which I'm a nutritionist, right? I'm not a counsellor. Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the ageing process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip (laughs) off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. So uh, something else you, 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 we touched on to gut health in general there. Um, now, um, I, I know this, you know this, but let's just talk about how detrimental is alcohol to the gut? Well, to be completely honest, alcohol isn't good at all. But that's not to say there aren't some uses for it, which I'll, I'll maybe come to in just a moment. But the gut microbes won't like it. Alcohol is cytotoxic. That means it's toxic to all cells. And there's no getting away from that. It's not just your liver, all cells. Now, it's probably, if you have minimal alcohol, it's probably minimal cytotoxic and your cells to regenerate and there's absolutely no harm done. So I'm not, you know, I would never encourage anyone just to not drink at all unless under certain circumstances. But drinking excessively and regularly is not going to be good for gut health. It's not going to be good for other parts of the body. Exactly. So um, it primarily causes something called inflammation, right? So here we hear this inflammation word. Now, some foods can cause inflammation. Um, different things that you put into your body cause inflammation. So um, can we talk a bit about inf- inflammation? And then um, what can you do to either heal or reduce inflammation or um, reduce the impact of inflammation? So inflammation, there's a word that's thrown around a lot these days. Um, we need inflammation. It's a 
a survival mechanism that was developed by ancestors in you know, species way, way before there were humans and all uh, animal species have information. We need it as a response to injury. Um, if you, you hurt your elbow or whatever um, and damage the tissue, it's going to be inflammation. It allows the blood to get in there to cause, to cause healing, um, to help healing the, the wound. The problem is well, there's a thing called systemic inflammation, which is where more linked to stress than other aspects, uh, or as much linked to stress as, as part of the diet. Um, your, your the cortisol, which is a stress hormone, is is released too much. It's, it's we have cortisol as a response to uh, trauma to help get things back to normal. But because we're always stressed, we're rushing around, we have bad diets. There's always a little bit of cortisol release, and this can cause uh, inflammation. Now, we want to reduce that, and there are you know. Bad diets, which are full of junk food, um, overeating, can all be linked with uh, inflammation, uh, which, along with stress, we can try and we try and reduce that. It's going to have beneficial effects on the body. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Um, and so, talking about those those types of specific foods, what is your yeah? Give me some idea of food or or what is a good diet um, for a healthy person. In your a good diet, a good diet should uh, reduce to reduce how much meat and animal products we're consuming. It doesn't mean you have to cut them out, and I, I personally have uh, do include some uh, sustainably sourced meat uh, and eggs in my diet, but I have a lot less. Now that's both eating sustainably for the planet, but also I feel for, for our own health because we need to get nutrition from other foods. Now, this should include. Uh, pulses because they're full of good fibers that would help the gut microbiome um an array of vegetables some fruit nuts and seeds as well are, are great uh, and you need to eat quite a varied range of foods and of course whole grains uh, oats uh and other such grains can be great as well but um uh, and also plenty of oils omega-3s i mentioned earlier and of course fuel can be part of all this too because you've just nailed all of those um, in 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 one meal. Um, okay, this might be slightly controversial, but um, not because Joe Rogan did it, but he did do it. Um, um, I found that out afterwards. But I got introduced something called the carnivore diet. Um, and um, when I did the carnivore diet for 30 days, I felt absolutely amazing. Like brain fog disappeared. Um, I felt really good. I lost a load of weight. Um, I got into some of the, the content around um, carnivore diet and there's some very interesting things, right? There's some things I can't is struggle to ignore, like the amount of shit we put on our vegetables um, during their growth, the amount of um, spray and seeds and chemicals and everything else that's used on that that is potentially very dangerous. So this is like the arguments. The vegans say that all the cows are pumped full of these things. And the, the guys eating meat are saying this, and this is part of the confusion. But I know your opinion is about plants and vegetables and things like that. But what are your thoughts about, do you know much about the carnivore diet? What are your yeah. thoughts about that? Um, and I think that probably leads us back onto the conversation of, you know, how do we get away from all of the crap we're putting on the vegetable? Because there's probably some truth in there. Um, and that means that we need to be using more organic growth, growed food or more preventative food. And yeah. Hit me with your thoughts there. So firstly, clarify one thing. If the carnival diet is done correctly, it should be done with sustainably sourced meat and not just meat that's intensively farmed or farmed. In and the whole animal. And, and the whole animal, yeah. And exactly, and the whole animal. And, you know, hunted meat can be good, which we can't all do. We don't want no hunters, you know. We, we've got these things called farms that make, mean we don't have to do that. Uh, and we've got supply chains that mean all, mean all we have to do is nip to the shop. So that needs clarifying. And like you, I've come across people on the carnivore diet who have felt brilliantly. Yeah. I've also come across people that haven't felt haven't felt so good. Yeah. Now I'm going to flip this now. Yeah. I bet you've come across some people who have turned have followed a vegan diet and they've also felt brilliantly. Totally. Okay. I could present to you an evidence based argument why the carnivore diet is the perfect diet for your health. Yeah. I could present to you a perfect evidence based diet that the vegan uh, the vegan diet is perfect for your health. Well, it can't both be true. <laughs> what do I do? What do you do? Well, maybe 
and I think there's a lot of evidence for this, and I've discussed it in a great length in um, Thought for Food, my, my book that's coming out hopefully in a few months, that we humans um, have adapted to to be able to get good nutrition from a wide range of food. So I'm I'm going to say that it's not that plant foods are bad or not that meat is bad for your health, but it's overeating, eating the wrong foods, some of the modern processing techniques, and I'm not saying all, all processed techniques are bad, by the way, I'm, I'm, I'm not one of those people that just says, only oh, processed food is bad, which is something else we could talk about if we've got time. But we, um, we, we're adapted to have to be able to get a wide range of nutrition from different foods. Now, we have different pressures in the third decade of the third millennia that we have to consider. We just have to. Mm. There, we can't go on eating the amount of meat we do. And, mm. and, and if we all wanted to go on the carnivore diet, we can't have it from the uh, Kafkos and- Hurry up and manufacture these in stem cell dishes. Yeah, well, this is this coming as well. This this uh, celiac area is is going to be very interesting, um, and I'm keeping a close eye on it. Um, but yeah, so it's it's complicated, and I get it why people feel good. But I would ask the question: What were they eating beforehand? I bet you they could feel yeah. just as good if they ate a good diet that maybe had ten percent of the calories coming from animals, which is what I do, and I feel great. Yeah, I mean, there was probably a lot of bread, a lot of white, starchy stuff, rice, um, a lot of processed stuff before doing that diet. So um, completely. But I also did 30 days vegetables and 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 felt very good there too. So I've been on both sides of the fence. Um, so more importantly, though, what I touched on in that second part was, okay, we are doing some stuff to vegetables that may not be, um, we're putting on chemicals and things to reduce disease and 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 all sorts of stuff um yeah how do you deal with that and is that a thought in huel about where you source your um produce from yeah that's a great question the the some of the farming techniques and some of the um pesticides and um fertilizers used are definitely potentially dangerous however we do need to do something we've got over 8 billion people on this planet to feed and for us to sit here in our in privileged UK yeah you know we're, we're okay but who are we to judge the difficulties that other people in other countries have yeah and um, we would not be here today having this conversation now if we hadn't relied on on these technologies however the soils are getting destroyed um, and we need to bring in regenerative agriculture now at Yo, we are working with a, a, a Dutch organisation called Soil Heroes to sponsor some farms, and we are working to bring some more regenerative crops into our supply chain. I don't know when, but we're working to do it. Um, the world isn't set up for this yet, yeah. uh, but companies like us have to support this, have to support these initiatives, even if it means we're going to be paying a bit more. But we're going to be working on oats and possibly cocoa as well in that supply chain first and see yeah. where that takes us. Now, um, I'm not an expert on regenerative agriculture, but I really do urge some people to have a read or listen to podcasts discussing that issues. It's really interesting. Mm, great. Um, we'll check it out. You must have half an eye on, um, half an eye or the main eye, I would say, on improving farming techniques, um, reducing the costs there, uh, improving where the produce comes from, all things like that. And then actually either, well, maybe I'm a bit too, too soon for this, but molecular, you know, what we talked about, that whole Star Trek. Um, I, I mean, that's an advanced um, idea of creating something on a molecular level, but it's happening with Petri dishes and meat, right? They're using stem cell technology. So that's like a step towards. So is are, do you, is there a, are you a, in that world looking at it? Are there developments in the, what would we call it? The manufacturing? Cellular ag. Cellular ag, that's the, the name of the area. Yeah. Cellular agriculture. Cellular ag, agriculture, correct. Yeah. Okay, so tell me, what's going on in cellular ag? <laughs> yeah, this is, it's really interesting. Yeah. I, 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 I'm in a very fortunate position that I get to talk to some of the companies developing this stuff. Mm. Um, there's the meats, um, the lab-grown meats yeah. uh, that, that are really interesting, where people basically created the muscle cells and growing them on a mesh framework. Yeah. And it's available commercially. There was a company in Israel, I think, last year or the year before that have gone commercial. Yeah. Expensive, but it can be bought. There's gelatin, which is used you know, in, in sweets. There's now been um, That's being sold in confectionery across the USA, as I understand it. There's a company 
who produce the milk proteins that are now selling certain ice creams in America as well. Then there's egg white protein. And there's also a very interesting Finnish company. That's non-farmed. That's non-farmed protein. Non-farmed. These are all created in a lab stroke foundry. They're all quite expensive at the moment because although some of them are commercial, they are still scaling. Um, but there's a brilliant... I'm going to give these guys a plug because I, I love them. There's a Finnish company called Solar Foods that are producing a, a protein called Selene. Um, they're worth looking up. So we're talking to them mm-hmm. um, because they produce protein from thin air. That's their, their slogan. How... Well, we've got this, this is, we've got carbon in the air that we don't want, right? right? So if we can use the natural waters from Finland and the solar power and can produce, get the carbon out of the atmosphere and we're using some microbes to then make it into a food that we can eat, what better way? Which is exactly what these guys have done. That is amazing. Incredibly exciting. Yeah. Uh, absolutely, yeah. Uh, and there's this along with... I mean, there's technologies that, are, that that we're using already, like extracting protein from the vegetables. Like we use the pea protein, the hemp protein, the brown rice protein, combining them, and we've got a complete protein that's highly digestible. Yeah. So we don't just need these because these are equally uh, useful, and that's what we're using at Cure. Yeah. I mean, that's super exciting. So, you know, what is the what's the future looking for Huel, the future product? You know, um, where do you see you guys going? We, we've got loads of, we've got a massive innovation pipeline. We've got some really good uh, guys and girls in the in our new product development team that are working on both improving our current range mm-hmm. and um, some new new innovations, which I can't talk about the new innovations, but I can say we've got some uh, improvements coming. We announced last week uh, improvements to our, uh, our white pouch powder um, that's coming. We've got some new flavors and we've just, we've made it, uh, it will be less, less clumping. Uh, a bit smoother, which these these are all the other side of the innovation we do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, one thing I was going to say, there was something about world hunger. I mean, uh, I don't know whether you were talking about that, but being able to produce something like this at scale, nutritionally complete um, into places, um, is, is that something that you've looked at or you were a part of at one point? Um, are you doing anything in that sphere? It's... It's really complicated to do things like that. We are still a young company. Yeah. It's seven and a half years old and we don't have the resources to do as much as we'd like. So yeah. we we put our energies into working with like I mentioned soil heroes, regenerative agriculture. Yeah. We work with we do some we have a volunteering scheme for work to help with local uh relevant um schemes. Um and we, we do support anything on the sort of sustainable nutrition type thing. That's where we focused our energies. Mm. Yeah. So, and how big is the company now? So, per company, we've got about two hundred and forty employees over eight offices, including um, London, New York City, Birmingham, and Tring in Hertfordshire, which is where uh, HQ is. Yeah. Um, we uh, a bit of Tring. Sold. Oh, I can tell. Uh, I can tell you. You ready? I'm going to do this. There was an old man from Tring, who embellished his nose with a ring. One evening in June, he stared at the moon. That ecstatic old man of Tring. Woohoo! I remembered it. <laughs> you remember? Okay, that's an actual. That's an actual thing. Is that's it? an actual thing. Uh, not not from Tring, so I've not heard that before, and I'm sure that it will get shared with uh, colleagues. It's on the bathroom in my now deceased grandmother's house. Oh, <laughs> um. Yeah. So we've sold over 300 million meals worldwide to over 80 nations. Um. And we're continuing to grow. Um, we're primarily in the the UK, Europe, uh, the USA, and Japan, but in other countries, some other countries, they can buy products as well. Amazing, um, cool. Right now, so tell me about the book, Food for Thought, um, or what can you tell me? The basic premise is that what can we as individuals do to address the multiple issues that we have we're confronted with in in twenty twenty three. We have to eat you know, sustainable nutrition. We have to address that. There's the ethics of eating. You know, is it Should we be vegans? I've discussed that. I've tried to look at the morality of eating animals. Um, also, uh, eating for our physical health, of course, and physical performance, eating for our mental health. And one thing that's too often overlooked is eating in the company of others. We should share food. Now, I, I, I get it. Yule's not about that. But, you know, we, you know there are 
plenty of meals in a week where we could be eating with family and with friends. Mm. And this is people we're, we're all too rushed these days. Yeah. And it would be good just once or twice a week to prepare food with friends and then share that food. Yeah. And it's not something we're very good at in the UK and the US. Some of the Southern European and the Mediterranean diet, which has some direct nutritional benefits, but maybe this is part of the benefit as well. Yeah. Um, so I've, I've, I initially in the book look at the, the reasons why we choose the foods we do, because if you can understand our motivation to eat, which could be the, the things we spoke about with our drive to eat and the cravings and the biologies of hunger and satiety, but also the cultural aspects and various other aspects like food being marketed and how it's delivered to us, supply chains, we can understand that. Then we can we can consider how we can eat better addressing the, the those areas I've discussed. And then the last part of the book, I try and bring it all together. I talk about some of the new innovations. We spoke about um, the cellular ag, or, or obviously I talk about Huel, but also um, discuss some other innovations as well and processing as a whole. Yeah. And I have a different view of, of food processing. Um, people people you know, criticize certain food and say, oh, it's processed, as if that means it is bad. Yeah, well, that, well is, that's, that would be my perception. So, And that is the perception that is that is, has been pushed a lot. You know, processed food is bad. I remember um, reading stuff was that if it's got more than five things on the ingredients list, then it's too processed and it's dangerous for you. So let's talk about that because w w what myth have I been sold here? I, I'm I'm not convinced by that. I mean, I, I get it. There's, there's a thing called um, food reductionism or nutritionism where we're accused of breaking food down to its, its constituent parts and only focusing on that, like how much fat it's got, how with the vitamins in it, and the fiber, the sugar, et cetera. And food is absolutely a whole lot more, more than that. And we should think of it that way, yeah. where the microbes come in. However, um, processed food, we've, we assume as we've been processing food for probably 400,000 years mm -hmm. since we started daily manipulating fire in order to apply heat to food, help develop our brains and help us become homo sapiens um, and be able to do the things we do today. And But I get it. That's not what people think of when uh, when they say processed food. They, they're sort of referring to all the, the manipulations to food in our last maybe 50, 70 years at the most. And not all of them are bad. You know, we want you know, you bake bread with a bread maker or if you're fortunate to have one or it probably lasts a day. But in in those days, it was it was all consumed by the family because they didn't have much else. Mm. These days, we're fortunate enough that we can buy a loaf and it lasts a week and it's still in good nick. And I think that's a good thing. Yeah. Um, and it allows, you know, getting food to a wider range of people. Of course, the majority, majority of ultra-processed foods that people have are rubbish. Yeah. But here's another phrase that I use in Thought for Food and another one that I'm, I'll take the credit for is nutrition science is not rocket science. Okay? But, you, know, you don't need to be an expert in nutrition to yeah. know what good food is. Sure, there will be some things that will confuse you. You mentioned earlier that there's all this misinformation put out there and people are saying different things. But fundamentally, we know what crap foods are yeah. and we know what good foods are. Yeah. Eat less of the crap, eat more of the good. There you, you you won't go far wrong. Yeah. And I think that just to put on another bit of sales pitch for you, um, but and, yeah. but I do love Huel, so that's very easy for me to, to, to talk about something that I love and use, is that even if you do have a, a poor diet or a good diet, whatever it is, that, that adding in something like Huel is going to only improve your diet. It's like that one step you can take, right? And so many people are stuck you know, stuck with the mountain of, oh, I eat too much of this and I, my diet's poor and I have to change everything and all that stuff. And it's like, well, what's the first step? There you go. I just nailed it for you. Go and get some Huel. Now, I will add in that if you do go to Huel, go to Huel.com forward slash OYMB uh, because then they continue to sponsor our podcast. And by the way, James, I'm meeting your team in um, three hours um, to hopefully talk about them carrying on the, on the, on the, on the sponsorship of the podcast. Maybe they're going to tell me bad news. Sorry, Ruri. We don't want to sponsor the podcast. <laughs> this episode will never air. Okay. I'm kidding, James. <laughs> um, so um, head to Huel.com forward slash OYMB um, to get yourself some Huel. Great for hunger. We've talked about all of the nutritional benefits. We've talked about having an improving diet and those wonderful things. So easy to use. So go and grab yourself some Huel. And when you do this flash slash OYMB, uh, you get a free T-shirt, you get a shaker, some extra bits and pieces like that, and they continue to sponsor this wonderful podcast. Um, and that is not the reason why I have James on this this show. James's 
content. James, what James puts out there is fantastic. So go and have a look at James Collier on LinkedIn. You'll also find him on the Huel blog. Um, and what he's putting in there from a nutrition perspective, the stuff, the content that you're sharing. I noticed you shared um, a great podcast. Can't remember the names of the guy, but it was Stephen Bartlett podcast. Um, Everything we know about nutrition is not right or whatever. Very controversial. Calorie counting calories is wrong. What was that guy's name? Giles Yo. He's a professor at Cambridge. Uh, he's brilliant. That guy. He's one of. Uh, I mean, I listen to a lot of nutritionists, and whilst a good proportion talk a lot of. They discuss some really good issues. There's a, there's a few maybe the odd thing I, I perhaps disagree with them and yeah. I can demonstrate why I disagree. Joel Joe is one of them. I struggle to find anything I disagree with. Amazing. Now, that does, I'm not that putting, I realize I'm putting myself up there as like the old wise one when it comes to nutrition, which I don't mean to, but I'm just trying to illustrate. No, why not? You I think this guy's got very, very credible. You should. You're going to be a published author, superstar, and co founder of a huge business which has had a significant impact on many, many, many lives. So you absolutely should be putting yourself up there. Well done for the recipe and what you've what you've achieved so far. Um yeah. So thank you for coming on the podcast, James. Um how would anybody reach you? Where are they going to find the book? How do they find out more about you? The book will be available in bookstores and, and Amazon, of course. I will be shouting about it everywhere when I've done it because I'm I'm Kitchen, but for me, it was, it's a lot of it's it going to be by the time it's launched, it'll be three years in, in the making. Um, so but if they want to, I'm on LinkedIn, uh, I'm on Instagram as well. Um, I will be going on other social media platforms reluctantly, but I feel I need to do this to, uh, in order to one promote the book and, and future things, but also, look, I just want to say one thing I was talking to a very credible nutritionist friend of mine last year, and we were both commenting on all the misinformation that's out there and all the influencers that are giving bad information. But then she said something interesting to me. She said, that's on us. We don't do it. We don't put ourselves out there enough, mm. putting good information out there. So I kind of feel a bit of a moral responsibility to put better information out there like that people can, people can grab hold of. So I plan on doing that uh, out of my comfort zone because uh, as they take the mickey at work, uh, they, they think I'm a bit of a dinosaur with tech. I don't think I'm that bad. Outsource everything out of that for sure. Outsource it. Um, <laughs> as long as they, as long as they've got you in front of a camera or writing the words, then that's your bit done, and everything else get somebody else to do for sure. Otherwise, you'll just waste lots of time. Um, and especially with the wonderful advent of ChatGPT, AI, and these incredible tools now that are accelerating that stuff so rapidly. Um, for an individual like you who's creating, who's who's sifting through the science, wading through the stuff out there, and then consolidating that into meaningful content that will change lives, your life is going to get so much easier, faster, and and you don't need to go and learn all these platforms. So that's my rocket advice to you now. And if you if you if you speak to anyone and there's someone who wants to come to help you and they're not using AI tools, do not use them <laughs> because okay. they're asleep. Anyway, um, it's been absolutely fabulous to have you um, on the podcast, James. And um, yeah, thank you again for for Huel and being, um, yeah, and for the wonderful work that you're doing. So I look forward to reading your book and maybe we'll get you back on again for another deep dive because I, I really enjoyed going through this process with you and back and forward on the things that we could talk about and go deep into. So um, maybe we can re review it again in a year. Yeah, thanks. There's, there's so much uh, that I can talk about nutrition all day. I love yeah. it. It's been a great conversation. Thanks very much for, for having me. Good man. Thanks. Thank you.